Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, everyone. This episode, I want to let you know about a great man who is feeding our doctors and nurses. Philip Juma, head chef and founder of Juma Kitchen, didn't want to put his incredible skills of making delicious food, and I've tasted it, it's amazing, to waste during lockdown. So when Borough Market closed its doors, he took it upon himself to feed our NHS staff. He's single-handedly making hundreds of meals for them every week. And if you want to help feed our heroes, go to Juma kitchen.com yeah i'm saying it again that's jumakitchen.com and donate let's clap them on the thursday and feed them on a friday massive love and respect going out for juma kitchen let's get started hola film family i'm isusko your host aka the time scheduler Welcome to the Film Gods podcast, which is a chat with the best of the UK film crew who make all of those beautiful moving images you watch every day. I want to give a special thanks to Island Studios for the recording space. Thank you, Mark, Mitch, Pauline and the whole team. And wherever you're listening, hope you enjoy. Big love. So, hello, film family. Um, thank you for listening to the Film Gods. We've got a guest on today who, when I was growing up as a runner, uh, and you're always told that you're looking at, you, you know, the first it is that you work for and they're, they're playing chess and you're playing drafts. This man, I kind of, you know, he's playing chess and it made me realise that I'm still at noughts and crosses. So I'm, I'm really privileged and honoured to have someone who I looked up to when I was running and who you can have as a mentor and as a, a shining light for a career path. Um, and I just, firstly, before you even say anything, thank you for coming on and for giving your time. So that's it. It's just amazing. Um, and what, so what is your name and what is your role on Cool Sheet? Oh, well, of course, you, you, um, you froze uh, in oh. Zoom land in, in the middle of the incredible introduction. But I think I know what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're being really nice about me. I was I trying, yeah, I was doing my best. <laughs> Um, all I had was, you, you know, you frozen mid kind of enthusiasm, oh. uh, but it was, it was gorgeous. It was gorgeous. Um, <laughs> a gorgeous frozen image. Um, I'm Rob Blishen, um, and on a call sheet, I'm down as the director. Um, but I guess um, my sort of, I don't really see my job as just sitting in that particular zone I kind of I work as a creative and I edit um, and kind of think of myself. Well, I hope to think of myself as a kind of maker uh, or someone who helps people make things. Um, but yeah, on the call sheet, I'll be a director. Okay. And the question that I throw to people towards the beginning of the app is, what is your process from pencil to invoice? So, as a director, are there things that you specifically like to do in pre-production? the production and i guess we'll come to it later with your with your past but is there are there things that you like to do in pre and prod and post that are specific to you as a person um i don't i don't know whether they're specific to me as a person i think everyone finds their own um their own process of course but i guess i'm using kind of uh a kind of a pattern of work that i've sort of um grown up with and seen other people do and have found very useful. Um, and, you know, for me, the way things work is you tend to get a, a brief or a discussion of an idea and um, you, you kind of need to find the best way of shepherding that idea through or, or finding a way of kind of looking tangentially at that, that idea, trying to find the best, most interesting way of looking at an idea and and bringing that idea to life on the screen. Um, and there's plenty, you know, there's like, there's so many hurdles to that, to that, um, to getting an idea all the way onto the screen in the best way that it can have in a, in an ad or in a, in a promo or, um, or in a film. And the, one of the things that I started doing when I was, when I was starting out as a director was be, be really, really clear and really plan everything, partly because of my background. Um, when I was, you know, kind of growing up in the film industry, working as assistant director, I always tried to, to uh, find a kind of the best formula for doing something. And um, 
I started being really, really rigid and, and, you know, really careful writing, really careful storyboarding. Um, and these things are totally valid. I mean, you know, should definitely be doing those things. Yeah. Um, and then really careful planning of the shoot and really careful casting and, uh, and you know, minute attention to detail. And all of that is, is worthy and valid. But the longer that I've been doing it for, the more I'm trying to find ways of making sure there's space for happy accidents and mm. for things to change and, and shift. And I think the, the thing I learned most from the kind of the best directors that I've ever worked for and that hopefully I've absorbed some of their, you know, minute parts of their skill set is their ability to be a bit more of a magpie and to kind of spot the, the best way that something might pop up and change. Um, and that can be an amazing thing that an actor does or a slight change in uh, a sort of mood that they can create, or it can be um, a kind of unusual angle that sort of presents itself or a problem that means you have to do, do it, look at something another way that makes the scene fresh or the, the shot more interesting. Um, so I guess in terms of, you know, you talk about what, what the, you know, your process from pencil to, to invoice. Um, and uh, I, I suppose I'm trying to learn to keep the pencil always around and sharp, you know, so that there's, nice. it can, so you can always shift, you can always change. Hmm. Um, and that doesn't necessarily suit all your clients necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think it's, I think it's a kind of, I think it's the route to making things really lovely and making kind of things as beautiful and refreshing and interesting and provocative and imagine, uh, you know, and as full of imagination as possible. I try to hang on to being imaginative and try and be a little bit less formulaic if I can be. Having said that, I still storyboard everything and write everything of course, down. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess it feels like the better prepped you are, the easier it is to kind of just deviate slightly to, for a happy accident. Yeah, totally. And, and I think that's what, you know, when you kind of grow up on set, you know, or you kind of establish, or you learn from people on set. Um, it's quite hard on set to, to understand the, the edit. Um, you know, you, you, you know you, you're setting up and you think the whole thing is useful and it's really not. The whole thing is not useful. Mm. There's, you're only looking, you know, you're mining. You're just looking for that. For those beats those little moments and um the that learning to edit was the kind of the really useful thing that helped also for me to realize that you know the the bits that you sometimes think are most important aren't always the most important thing either so you have to keep you've got to keep really fresh when you start cutting stuff as well yeah. um and you know some great editors have taught me loads um about it's a dark art not being so rigid yeah, oh, yeah. no i mean i can't for the life of me i couldn't you know i could do a bit of final cut pro in, at uni but i just there's just something that a great editor has that i just couldn't get it's just a really something that it is was that was the post-production process something that you'd already dabbled in before you kind of got into film sets yeah I, well i weirdly one of my first jobs ever before before i was even a runner I had a I was an editor's assistant um, but this was way before digital editing mm. and so it was all you know using steam back and and film and you know I was just the assistant I was just hanging up pieces of film on hooks and watching over her shoulder um, and she was a really she was a great editor Anne Arkenstall was her name and she was uh, you know a real pleasure to to work with um, and what's weird is that I kind of forgot all the great stuff that she taught me um, when I went on set. And I, because I was just so embroiled in the world of being on set and learning all the new stuff there, mm. that I kind of forgotten about all the kind of the care and the magic and the, the kind of um, uh, the sleight of hand that, that, can, that, that an editor wields um, and, and how much they can reinvent something. Um, and so when I came back to editing much later on in my career and, and actually learned how to edit properly myself digitally um, and I had sort of an opportunity at 4Creative to do that, I felt totally liberated. 
Um, I felt weirdly, again, this kind of idea about process being kind of a bit of an entrapment. I felt weirdly that the world of being on set had made me too rigid, you know, mm. too, too, um, too governed by the kind of the rules of set life. Um, and then being an editor made me kind of throw that all away uh, really? to an extent. So, so what um, was the foot in? Like you started off, was, did, did, you, did you get into a, a post house as a runner and then make your way up? Or was, did, you, did, did, did the assistant job for the editor, was that the first point? Well, that, no, that was, that was like a kind of a brief interlude. Anne was cutting a documentary and, you know, I just learned a little bit from her. But then I didn't actually kind of get a break into the, and that was a kind of temporary job, and I didn't really get a break into the kind of film industry proper, I suppose, um, as, a, as a freelancer until I started running. And I, I only became a runner by kind of pure chance. I knew I wanted to be in the film industry. I knew I wanted to somehow be involved in the kind of the, the act of making things. Mm. And I'd, you know, I'd been in love with films ever since I could, you know, watch a screen. Um, and so I just, I kept on trying to call people up and that didn't really work and sort of knocked on doors and went to companies and that didn't really work. And I got a couple of little bits of, of bits of work and but they never really led anywhere um because they were you know they're sort of quite big companies and i'd sort of you'd be a little person in the back of a big company and um you know i wasn't really confident enough i suppose to kind of make my present felt hmm. um as that and, production companies yeah and um my brother had a furniture company and he had his a workspace where i used to work so i used to help him out there hmm. and their space was next to a, an old studio which shot commercials. So every time there was a commercial there, I'd just go over and say, if anyone needs any help, I'm around, I'd love to help out, blah, blah, blah. Amazing. And then finally, sort of several months into <laughs> me just going, I'm, like I'm you know, still here, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the guy with the sawdust all over him. <laughs> and, um, and, and someone, you know, gave me a break. Um, and the guys who ran the studio were really lovely. It was Castle Studios and, and they kind of, they gave me a couple of little jobs. Um, Peter James gave me a little job. Um, and there was a production company that used to shoot there a lot, commercials production company. And um, I guess they saw something in me and they sort of began to give me work. And then, you know, and then the process, and then it began to evolve and I began to get more work. Um, but I think it was just the fact that I was just such an eager beaver. <laughs> um, and it was just kind of, so lovely and intoxicating to find yourself in a mm. group of people all heading you would hope in the sort of the same direction all with their specialities but all heading in the same direction so i kind of fell in love with it straight away and was there a was there a department that when you first stepped onto set and you were like there it is i want to be a dop i want to be a gaffer i want to be a spa i want to be a director or did you just kind of go in with an open mind and think well let's see where my gut leads no i i think i i mean i made the i you know i made a horrendous mistake oh god <laughs> in, uh, in in kind of i kind of went in for uh experience you know i sort of went where everything was experience it was great this was every single job was experience i did everything um and anything that i got offered i did and i kept on being offered stuff and kind of embracing it and I guess obviously doing a good job because people kept kind of giving me things um and um I so I was really not focused at all I just kind of went with the with the flow of it but I think the kind of the film industry is really interesting because I think it kind of chooses it kind of chooses you it's it, it you I mean it in a in a cruel way it really uses you as well but it hmm. it's brilliant you know, it's brilliant at finding what the best aspect of yourself within a film environment, if, you, if, you, if your kind of mentality works for that environment. So you see people and you think, you know, you're a brilliant prop man, you're, and you're kind of, you become a brilliant prop man through a weird route or whatever it is, but you, you work perfectly within that, that role. Um, uh, or you're an amazing DOP, and I can see how you kind of ended up being an amazing DOP, and um but the it it's quite good at sniffing out that industry is quite good at sniffing you out if you know what i mean it kind of yeah. sort of it 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 tends to 
govern you a little bit it like a river. It kind of sieves you through and yeah. you're like, oh, and then you kind of end up falling into a... Yeah, the and, of the and I think that's the danger of it as well, because, hmm. because you, maybe you didn't intend to do that, you know, or, you, or suddenly many years can have gone by and you're like, oh, it's not experience anymore. I've actually got a job, you know, yeah. and that's... And that's kind of what happened to me. I kind of went, oh my God, I've got a job. And I didn't, re- I didn't set out to have a job. I kind of wanted to make films. And, mm. um, and, and now I've got a job. <laughs> and was that being of just a very busy in-house runner or on-set runner? What was the first? Well, uh, I, was, I was an on-set runner. Um, and then I helped uh, run a little uh, tiny studio um, for the production company. Um, and Stuart Graham, who's a, a great DOP, um, but was running the studio at the time and he gave me a little job helping him run the studio. Um, so I used to kind of polish all the stuff and set it all out and make sure it was all working and, nice. and kind of, and kind of keep the studio running. Um, but very quickly, um, I met, um, one particular AD who really took me under his wing. And then he was the one who kind of nurtured me into, to ADing and location managing and, um, again, it wasn't really a choice. He just kind of offered me stuff and I kind of embraced it because I, mm. I was learning stuff and he, there was a lot to learn from Nick. Um, so he was kind of my big, my, my, my big mentor um, in terms of really sort of learning everything, the kind of the basics of what I knew from the, what I ended up knowing from the film industry I learned from, from Nick Page. Mm. So he was, he was kind of the, the bit that unlocked the industry for me. Was he... Was he a typical AD for the time? Was it a very shouty type of environment to be in? Or, or was there a sense of, you're a calm man. Did the, you know, if, if you're saying you learned from him, he doesn't sound like the typical AD that I used to hear about when they were, you know. No, I think he was really, un, I mean, he was atypical. I mean, I, I mean, I really loved him and he's a really, you know, he's a, he's a kind of great friend. Um, and I, the thing I loved about him, I think, was that he, he was really he was really bright, but he'd st- he'd originally been an actor, and so he kind of I think he loved the kind of the the world of mm. the set and the kind of and 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 the the relationships within the set, and he was very keen on thinking things through and working things out and then implementing them, but also making sure that people had a really good time doing it. You know, it was really fun being with him. I mean, yeah. I'm you know I'm not. I don't think it's the same with me. You know, I didn't learn that from him. <laughs> um, as I'm sure you can testify, it's not always fine with me. Um, but, um, but yeah, he, 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 he wasn't, he only shouted when you really had to. I mean, he mm. could be quite strict, but he was, he was better at talking to people. He's a really good communicator. I mean, that was the actor in him. You know, he was really good at yeah. communicating with people and, and making people, people feel relaxed. Um, and he was smart. And that was a kind of a big thing. And he understood the value of trying to find what, what a director needed and, and really get that worked out for them and, and help them achieve what they wanted, whilst at the same time kind of balancing um, the kind of the needs of a production and, and, and making sure that um, the set was run efficiently. He was a good juggler. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you, you mentioned about locations there. So did he, did he bring you up? as a second and then you decided actually I'm going to taste something else or what did in the back of your mind, did you always have directing as like the future? That's where I'm going to be headed. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I totally had that as a, as the future I was going to be headed, but uh, where I was going to be headed, but, uh, but I made the kind of gross error of making a really shit short film. Um, uh, well, not even making kind of half making a really shit short film. Um, before I really knew, before I really knew what I was doing. And, and I, mm. and I suppose um, that didn't work out at all. And it was a sort of a travesty of, it, it, you know, a financial artistic disaster. <laughs> oh, God. And, uh, um, Is there and a the DVD wish, of it somewhere that we can? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I mean, the, you know, the, the lovely thing was, is that really talented people kind of came and helped me out and I sort of let them down because I just didn't like, didn't know how to get things done or really had to kind of think through what I was doing as a director. And, um, and there was a kind of a sort of a good idea in there somewhere, but, but um, the, the short version of that is that I wanted to direct and I started trying to do that and, and it was a disaster and I didn't, I was really knocked by that. I found 
the kind of the blow to my kind of confidence about about not being able to make something properly was really devastating and so i didn't really kind of put my toe back in the water until much later on um so sort of whilst that was happening or had happened i was embracing other parts of the industry and and nick was also good at locations and so sometimes i'd run locations while he ad'd and sometimes i'd do location and firsting or location and seconding um because there were some directors who wanted me to do sort of everything mm. so they 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 wanted me to set everything up and then run the shoot they wanted to find the location set it all up and then run the shoot because they felt really comfortable working with one person i wouldn't recommend trying to sort of juggle all of those things but yeah. at the time i was like well they want me to do it so i should should do it you know um trying to get people through cars while you're parking up yeah. vans and <laughs> yeah no it was i mean you know it was, a, it was a horrible sort of yeah way too much on your plate yeah. and uh and yeah not the way to do things at all but it was really good for teaching me how to juggle a lot of stuff i think and also being really aware of how difficult other people's jobs can be yeah. you know so when you're a first ad and you know what just the sheer horror of being a location manager can be you know you 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 can you can bend and ebb to help him or her out you know yeah. um because their lives are extraordinarily difficult sometimes does that does the does the background do you feel like maybe the background that you've had has has had some sort of molding in how you are as a director on set because you understand the language and your relationship with people or is it just something that you just you learn and now you're a director and that's got nothing to do with where you've come from i uh, know i think it all inf i think it all informs me as a director definitely but hopefully in a way that um is you know it's more like i hopefully i feel like a bit of a sponge and i've absorbed all these different um kind of useful knowledge from the things i've done before um that that make me i hope really relaxed on set you know mm. so that you can because one of the, i think one of the problems with directing and i think probably directors i don't know i mean it's personal but i i imagine there's quite a lot of directors don't like to say just how difficult it can be sometimes you know you want to present the, the fact that you're like you know you're in control of everything and and actually it's really really hard yeah. um and you, you know you can doubt yourself or you can feel like you've done the wrong thing or feel like you've begun to do the wrong thing and want to work out how to change tack um, or uh, something's not quite there and you don't know quite how to get there and you that makes you feel kind of nervous um, and I think one of the things that's been really really useful to me from all my different experiences on set is that that I've got a really massive belief in being able to get somewhere with a group of people because they're all going to help you. Um, if, if you treat them with the respect that they deserve, they're all going to help you and, um, and help you find the path or get you back on the path or, or, or know exactly what you want and try and help you carry on on the path that you set out on. They're, they're all there to, to be part of your team and, and um, achieve a kind of uh, a great end result. Um, and I've got a massive faith in that process. Um, and having done it, you know, thousands and thousands of times, um, if you're with the right people, you can do amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, so I think that it's, yeah, it's given me, a, it's given me a really big confidence um, to kind of weather storms, if that makes sense. Yeah. And that process of being a second AD, did you suddenly just start thinking i'm a f i can first now i'm i'm going to leave the second behind i'm just going to become a first ad and was there ever a thought in your mind you're like i'm just i love the ading and i found something that one i'm good at and two that i love it the ading for me is such a as you said it's like such about the the detail that can that can that actually stop a good direct you know it is the looking too much into something from an ad's perspective can that actually be a negative thing to be talking about for a director no i, I yeah i mean there's a few questions in that one yeah sorry i kind of um, started going in my brain <laughs> <laughs> apologies um the i guess the 
I think that in terms of seconding to firsting, it's, I didn't really, I mean, I did, I did seconding, but I firsted very, very quickly and I was very young first. Um, and, you know, um, so I didn't, that kind of sense of graduation between things, I didn't really experience very much. Um, I kind of jumped to, I, I did second, but I jumped backwards and forwards between seconding and firsting quite a lot, especially mm -hmm. on small special effects stuff. So I, I was always sort of doing two or three things at once, I suppose. Um, so I'm not very good at answering the kind of getting ready for firsting thing. I think you're ready when you feel you are and you're ready when other people feel confident in you. Hmm. And those two things don't necessarily coincide. Um, I think I was fortunate. And, but I was also fortunate because Nick was my mentor and sort of trusted me to do stuff. So he was, you know, he's trusted me to take over a shoot for him and that gave me massive experience. Um, but in terms of the kind of ADing being detrimental to, you know, being a director, I don't think it, 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 it just depends on whether you're, you know, you've got a flexible mind, you know, I mean, yeah. if you, if you realize you're, you're hemming yourself in by trying to know exactly how you're going to do everything all the time and being in control of time and everything, then it, it will hem you in because I think part of being a director is sometimes having the faith in the absurd, you know, the, the, uh, the kind of the undoable. Um, and about some of the best directors I've worked with or, and still work with to this day are the ones, you know, you sit down and you think, I have no idea how to achieve what this person wants, or mm. there's literally no way around this, but they've, you know, they've got a faith in what they want to do and, and somehow you work it out together. Um, so I think you, you have to leave some of the ADing behind because if yep. you if you arrived at every bit of directing with a kind of with too much AD mentality in you, you you would you know perhaps you wouldn't attempt some things you know mm. it, you'd be you might find it too daunting. So sometimes ignorance is is very useful. <laughs> <laughs> um, I you know the 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 reason I want to do these podcasts for film students and media students and there's that there's the whole kind of go out and just shoot stuff if you want to be a director shoot stuff and then there's the the other side of life which is learn the film language learn how departments work and i guess i've got a, a, a you know a couple of runners friends and people that run for me now that are, are using that time to learn is there is there kind of advice for that young runner who's been doing it a few years that you you know that are just like I do want to make my own stuff however maybe my confidence is there or I feel like I'm missing a little bit of knowledge what what is it that you would say to to that kind of person um yeah I mean I'd, I'd say don't you know like don't be afraid of the the failures at all you know do do make your own stuff but but also you just I mean, I did something when I was a, I don't know, I was a, I'd left university and I did an adult education course, 16 millimeter filmmaking. Um, and it was really, you know, it was like, this was not a, a launch pad into the industry at all. It was a little community college. Yeah. But we just experimented with shooting some stuff and then just editing with kind of, with rough footage or waste footage. And... I, I think the important thing is, you know, the, understanding the language of film is one of the most important things you could possibly do as an editor. And some very, very talented people seem to have that from the get-go. Um, and, uh, and it's amazing, you know, meet really fantastic young directors who I'm in awe of who completely can weave the kind of the sequence of a film effortlessly in their minds and and i've i've got to that point but it took me quite a long time and a lot of editing i think to kind of to to learn that you know you need to if you, you can't just there's no point in just turning up and thinking just because you're sort of swanning around on set that you're going to make something good you know you need you need to be really ruthless with yourself and and editing i think is the kind of the the bit that teaches you really really hard lessons about the structure of a film and film language. 
and um, and that's vital. You know, I think it's really vital. I think if you don't have that, you're you're not you're not going to get anywhere. Um, and and as you see it sometimes with um, people who kind of cross over and discipline. Sometimes you know I'm you sorry, get Ross, great. Too, I'm so sorry. I've got my FaceTime. I've got my mum trying to FaceTime for the third time. Do it. Much more important. <laughs> I know all she wants to do is just is look at my kids. That's it. There's yeah. no she doesn't right. want to be looking at my yeah. face. We can come back to this. That's the art yeah. of editing. That's the that's the art of editing. Um, is is getting a good performance out of Rob Blishman. <laughs> <laughs> and just making sure that your mum doesn't try and face up. Maybe I should just put on my family WhatsApp group. It's like I'm podcasting. No one. Yeah, just no one. It, no, it's just, just a great it's a great cutaway. Let's just cut <laughs> to your mum right now trying to call us. That's it. <laughs> Hello, mate. I was on a podcast. Sorry, I missed a call. Oh, I found you back. All right. Let's get started. Oh, so we were we were talking before before my mom tried to FaceTime. We were talking about um, some great young directors that. Um, a knowledge of, of filmmaking and editing now for you growing up in a in a time where it was 35 mil was trying to find scraps of of footage to, or film to use to be able to learn to direct was that a tough slog did you, you know now we can shoot on a phone we can shoot on whatever and you can learn your editing but no i'd love to pretend i was a kind of um hungry, young, confident filmmaker who was, was grabbing tins of film. And we did do a bit of that on the disastrous film that shall not be mentioned. Um, but the, that, you know, that, that I'm, I'm really, you know, that, that was a barrier. That was definitely a barrier to things. Everything was really, really expensive. And that was a real barrier to, to, for, for young people. Cause you know, there was a kind of, I had a, I had a kind of snobbery about it, you know, stupid snobbery about the kind of the, the quality of everything being the be all and end all. And if you start working in commercials, that's quite often something that sort of happens. You're always kind of looking for the ultimate apex kind of um, glory moment of, mm. of things. And you're not kind of experimental enough. And, and that's kind of gone now because we've got great people who come into the industry who have made things on, you know, on their laptops and their phones and, and um, you know, everything is so much more accessible. So I really, I, I guess when I was sort of referencing kind of chopping bits of film together, it was really the sense that if you're one, if you want to be a filmmaker now, it feels like you you can experiment massively, um, and you can learn loads and loads at home at home, um, and so if you can come to set with that film language, you can be very confident that what you're going to use is going to end up working well for you in an edit mm. um so that i you know i was when, when i was talking about the edit i was talking about the importance of learning that language and you need you need to couple that with understanding how to get the best out of film set um and that and film sets can be very daunting places if mm. um if you're not used to them or even if you're used to them they can be daunting i mean it is pretty daunting when you turn up and there's like 60 trucks and 200 people and um you know you're thinking oh okay i better be really good <laughs> <laughs> what is it that we're shooting today oh no yeah. I, I better be i better make sure this is really good um Does so, that... yeah it feels like a, it can feel i think the thing is it can a set can feel like a terrible responsibility mm. and i think the best directors if you if you if that's where you want to go if you want to be directing are the ones who are able to wear that responsibility carefully but lightly you know and and not feel overwhelmed by it or pressured by it mm. um, so stepping into the office for pre-production what are the things that you start to kind of do have you got a little system do you write notes is there what does your pre-production look like as a director um i think the fact often i yeah scribble bad scribbles uh, a lot of bad scribbling um a lot of uh and but quite often a lot of writing as well 
um, sometimes lots of writing that no one may ever see in terms of writing down what I think the important elements are or um, writing down something that kind of grabs me about what like an emotional point within someone's performance or something you know um some some you know little i guess i call them kind of things to hang your hat on you know nice. the kind of so that you're trying to find the uh, you're trying to find the heart of the matter mm. um and so there'll be lots of notes and then a lot of a lot of scribbling is this and, something that you're doing in your treatment phase or is this once you've won the you've no, that would be, be before treatment it'll just be okay it will be things, and like I say, these are, these are things that never sort of see the light of day and, and often are sort of discarded immediately. But there's a kind of thinking about trying to, it's trying to boil things down. Um, I think particularly in kind of, in the, in the world of short form, yeah. you're trying to find the nugget, you know, what the, the, the right thing. And the, and the right thing, when I was talking about emotion, the right thing might be tone. You know, that's the thing that people kind of, like often you get really hung up on an image or, um, you know, you, you're, you're, you're sort of thinking about the, the, the frame, but actually what you need to think about is, um, you know, what the feel of the whole thing is. Um, and so for me, the beginning of the job is, it tends to be about tone and, nice. you know, whether it's, whether it's meant to be moving or funny or silly or absurd or, or kinetic, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to tie those elements down so that you can then begin to move forward and build it, build it up. But you're building it up from the right point. And I think you know when you're doing a treatment whether you've got the tone right because most of the time I think kind of halfway through the treatment you kind of know whether you've got a good chance of getting the job or not because you know whether you've got it right yourself. Mm. Um, and so often when you, when you don't win a treatment, um, you don't win a job from, from your treatment. There's a, there can be a, you know, I'll be honest about this. Sometimes there's a relief because you're like, do you know what? I think someone else could, could, uh, could have done it better, you know, mm. um, or, or I didn't crack it. You know, I think that's, it's good to be honest about that with yourself because it makes you better next time. You yeah. know, you know that you went off on the wrong tangent. You know, you might have been nearly there, but, but didn't quite kind of work out the, the right way to do things. Um, and and that's really really useful it's really good to be kind of critical and kind of kind of embrace those failures and see what they can teach you um i've probably been way too honest about that. it's amazing <laughs> the process. No, but it's amazing because you know you, you, you as as crew I'll never work again no, never will I. that's it the industry shut down um you know as a crew member who turns up on set and as a second you kind of get the boards you know the day before the shoot and that process that has gone beforehand, you never, you, you don't really have an understanding or a clue and being able to get from a director and someone like yourself, like that creative process and how they get treatments made. These are the things that maybe some runners are too scared is the wrong word, but maybe wouldn't feel like they could go up to a director during the shoot or at lunch and say, Oh, you know, can I read your treatments and how do you do, you know, how do you do those things? So that honesty and that, you know, you being able to tell us how your starting process goes, this is what I'm hoping is, is these are the, these are the things that people find useful is, you know, when you're sitting there with a treatment, is it a film that you get that you have a thought? Is there a photo? Is there, is there a music? Do you kind of incorporate all of those creative elements in your treatment writing? Or do you just say, I, I you know, for this commercial, I think we're going to shoot with this lens on this thing. And you know, there's going to be, no, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, it's, it would be nice to think that you would be able to be really specific from the get go, but it is a kind of a series of layers. It's kind mm. of strata really. Mm. And, um, they want to feel like they've, they, from your treatment that, they, they know what they're going to get. And that is not always the best film at the end. Yeah. Um, and so when I was talking at the beginning about kind of being, trying to find ways to be more open, I, it's, uh, you have to kind of keep that in the back of your mind when you're writing the treatment as well. You need to, you don't, you, I think you want to kind of go, it's, it, this is the feel of the whole thing. Yeah. And, and, but try and build in for people the, the, the chance for it to be, for it to be able to morph and be different um and get better you know mm. not everything's right from the right from the get-go 
I mean, maybe it is for some directors. I, you know, I honestly, I don't believe it's, you know, it might be like that a small percentage of the time, you know, I think there's, and the things that make the job better can come from unexpected directions as well. You know, mm. um, you know, it can be a great conversation with a creative or it can be, uh, you know, a complete haranguing from someone, you know, um, you know, a clash of, of minds might bring about something better, you know, and you need to approach each of those things, you know, good and bad with, with the, with the thought that they might end up being taking you in a good place. Um, I try not to be, to like have too much kind of, um, kind of overweening pride about, about a particular thing. You have to trust your gut and stick with what you think is going to work. Mm. Um, but you can be proved wrong as well. You know, you just need to guide it, keep guiding the good idea. I think, and the treatment builds up from you trying to show people what you, what you think the feel of that idea is going to be. Um, there is a formula to it, definitely in terms of explaining what you think about look and music and feel and performance and editing. You know, you want to try and get as much of that across, but some of the best treatments you, you ever see are short and punchy and you totally get the feel of what the project might be rather than the minutiae of the project. Mm. Um, I've got a tendency to write way too much and talk way too much, as you can tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, you, you mentioned briefly just a second ago about uh, a creative idea and, and that creative process. The, the relationship between a director and the creators from the ad agency, is that a relationship that is kind of the same throughout? Like a first and second, it's like you're doing, or or is it about personalities and how? No, well I think you I think on? that's the lovely thing about it is that it's always different, you know. Um, and I think the the you know the most rewarding relationships are the ones where you kind of learn to listen to each other, um, and you know you you know hopefully you can respect each other's intelligence and creative intelligence. Um, it's I think it's a very hard thing for creatives to to kind of write and nurture and art direct and an idea over a great period of time and then have to sort of hand it over. Mm. Um, and, uh, how can you be respectful in that process? If you know, if it, do, do you have to, is there, is there only so many ways? Is there only so far that you can push with the idea before it changes? No, I, I mean, sometimes that you can, sometimes you can turn it on its head completely. You know, some people are brilliant at doing that. You know, um, and but sometimes you should just hone something. You know, I've definitely written treatments where I've started it off by saying, you know, we really don't want to change very much about what's what's on the page here. You know, because because they're right, they kind of nailed it. You know, and they've sort of boiled it down enough for you to go, well, we need to just kind of polish this in different ways. You, mm. know, you don't you're not trying to reinvent the whole thing. Um, but sometimes, you know, they may have been you know, their process may have been kind of um, curtailed by different demands made on, on them in terms of what, what a client thinks they might want or certain strategy that has to be kind of uh, implemented. And actually, they, for some creatives, I think it's a very welcome moment where someone goes, well, it could be like that, but it could be totally like this. Mm. You know, and it could be a completely different thing. It doesn't mean you necessarily do the job, but you're doing a good job in, in, in helping them think about their idea in a different way um, and I think that's a fruitful thing it's a very painful thing as a director when you've done loads of work on something and doesn't get somewhere but but it, it can still be a fruitful relationship you can still have had a kind of fruitful creative process with with creatives um, and it is different every time is because it's a different relationship different people different projects when do you start that chat with them is it once you've you, you've kind of you've you've won the pitch and then you start instinctively talking to, to the creatives or does kind of pre-production let's start getting our stuff sorted does that become a more important conversation to start no i think it's it's the it starts right at the beginning it's the first thing that happens it's like when you you know when you're on we you have a phone call with you know if creatives are interested in using you for a job or oh before um, you've even written the treatment oh yeah yeah you, you know you, oh, have wow. a chat. So you pick up you know you the, the phone the call is the bit where they ask you to treat you know okay if they 
you know, unless you've got an established relationship with them, mm-hmm. mainly it'll be a phone call to talk about what your kind of gut feelings about something are and, and for them to gauge um, whether you're a complete idiot or not. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Oh, yeah, this Zoom yeah. recording's really going badly. I've just got to, we'll phone yeah. you back. <laughs> yeah, you seem to have frozen. Um, <laughs> no, it's, um, that, yeah, that's the bit. I mean, that's part of the thing is, is it's like, it's a big, it's a load of trust, isn't it? It's yeah. a load of trust. They're handing over effectively their idea um, mm-hmm. for you to hopefully nurture um, and do your best with. And, and also, you know, you're going to have to be in each other's pockets for a while. So it's really good if you, you know, you get on on some level, you know. Mm. I mean, what's really nice is you do, you know, you get kind of, it's lovely. It's like, you know, like I was saying, a film set's kind of this lovely place with the kind of, you get to collaborate with people and get to know them. And that's a real pleasure. Um, on the, on, and, you know, I've been lucky, you know. It's most stuff I've done, I've really, I've thoroughly enjoyed, you know, collaborating with people mm. um, I, that I really, I've, that's a really rewarding part of the process for me and maybe that's what I learned from film sets is the best film sets are the ones where people are really working with each other you know and getting the best out of out of the moment amazing um, so I think that's what maybe, I, maybe I'm able to bring that to the, yeah. to the next part of the process and with with the career path that you've had and the experiences that you've gone through is there any advice for the younger Rob Blishin? Is there a time of your life that you're kind of gone, do this, don't do this, I wish I'd done that? What would, what would you be saying to yourself now for whatever um, stage that you want to have a little chat? Yeah, I'd wish I'd, uh, I wish I hadn't, I wish it hadn't hurt me so badly, that, that film. <laughs> mm, yeah. um, but, then it would, but then it's proved to be really useful because mm. it actually taught me a lot about kind of, you know, like, my kind of uh it kind of honed my taste about things um and and it and it 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 was useful i'd 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 like to i'd I'd like i'd like to have told me to pick myself up a little bit quicker from that experience um (laughs) um but but um but i don't regret it at all i feel like it's been you know those sort of knockbacks are really good you know and maybe that's a good thing for everyone to know that it's really it's good to have knockbacks they're not all, it's not all a terrible thing. Um, and uh, yeah, and you'll kind of have faith in finding your own way through things. Just because we're sitting here on podcasts talking about how we do things doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Mm. If it's useful, great, but you have to find your own way. Um, and if you want to be a director, you totally have to find your own way. Um, so... How do you do that? Are there books? Are there films? Should they just watch whatever they want to make? Or where, where's a starting point for them? You know, they're probably going to be sitting at home now. It's locked down. They can't go to work. Is it read? Is it listen to music? Oh, God, it's all, it's just go, it's all of those things. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, film is this amazing thing, isn't it? That it's, it functions on so many incredible levels. There's so many aspects to it. It's... Mm. Um, you know, and it has that one thing that that other mediums don't have, that opera doesn't have. You know, you can look at opera and go, well, there's music and there's singing and there's dancing and there's movement and there's performance and there's costume and there's makeup. And, you know, that's a very rounded um, form. But film has editing. Mm. And th- I keep coming back to this and I, you know, just can't sort of say it enough is that that kind of the... the the power of edit is an amazing thing. And whether that power is articulated in hundreds of cuts or, uh, or the rigid adherence to not cutting mm. and leaving a shot to run for seven minutes, you know, that to me, that's where films, you know, that's where they really, really get made. You know, I love set and I think it's, and I, and set is probably where I'm happiest. And, but, and editing is probably where I'm like most full of angst. <laughs> and I think that probably tells you a lot about the process. Yeah. I think that kind of things live or die in, in editing suites. They really do. Um, it, it's an amazing thing. And I, I, I think there's watch films and think about editing, watch films and think about editing. That's, that's, 
watch films with the sound off, you know? Yeah. Watch films like nice. brutally with nothing there and, and, and see whether it still makes sense. I mean, there's an amazing film um, uh, out at the, at the moment, documentary about uh, a beekeeper. And I found out that this, the film was made by two documentary makers who didn't speak the same language as the people they were filming. And they edited it without translation. So they cut the whole film without knowing wow. exactly what people were saying. That sounds amazing. Yeah. And they only got a translation done when they had a rough cut and they barely changed the film after they had that translation in. They, they got it right f from an instinctive feel of the film. Yeah. So no, they had no dialogue, no music, no, you know, they didn't know, they just knew that the, the way the film was coming together through the structure of the film. And, um, is that out now? That's or my is that... powerful message to filmmakers. Yeah, I love that. I want to watch, so what, it's a, it's a documentary out now about a beekeeper. Yeah, I think it won the, it won the Oscar. Um, I think it won the Oscar for best foreign documentary. Uh, okay, amazing. So uh, naturally, like an idiot, I can't even remember the title. No, but well, actually, um, if it won the Oscar, I should probably have known yeah. about this one. <laughs> it's like thinking it was going to be some like obscure kind of God of It's like, no, no, it won an Oscar. I was like, okay, cool. No, I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty sure, unless I'm totally wrong. We can look it up. We can, we can, yeah. we can edit in. Me, we can me chop it up in it. Yeah, no, completely. But it was, it, was the, it was the fact that it was made that way I found incredibly exciting. Yeah. That's a really, really useful thing for people to think about when you're thinking about your filmmaking career and does it in, does it does that hone or does it change the way that you shoot as a director you know with the more knowledge of editing that you have the more that you understand where your camera needs to be how long the shot might be yeah definitely um but it also and I, and but I, I, again, I, I suppose I keep coming back to feel and tone and stuff like that. And it sometimes it, it tells you about sort of the rhythm of things tells you what you need to do. So I did something recently where there's a lot of it is split screen, mm -hmm. and I just I just knew like knew that I'd had to really really shoot loads and loads of stuff as much as I possibly could, um, even if I didn't think someone was working because. Mm because I wasn't sure about how things would work in juxtaposition with each other. Mm -hmm. So if you're only using a part of a frame, it's totally different to using the whole frame. And of course, you know, it's obvious, but yeah, yeah. you've no idea how something might sit next to something else. And you can plan, and I storyboarded like everything. And I even started putting kind of cuts together in juxtaposition cuts together. So you've got split screen cuts with the storyboard. And even then, even with doing all of that, still other stuff jumped up that worked in totally unexpected ways. And because of the editor, um, nice. who's an amazing editor called Alex Lee, who's lovely. And, you know, he, he, he would find patterns and rhythms in things that, that I, I hadn't anticipated. Um, and, but, I, but my gut instinct from having been in the edit suite loads and cut loads of stuff was that I knew that that was going to be the case. I, the rhythm of the thing demanded that I be prepared to throw stuff away and, and try things out and things were going to work in different ways than I would imagine. Mm. So, so I guess, yeah, in answer to your question, you, you can, you reverse engineer a lot of your knowledge into step, but sometimes it's not to do with like classical filmmaking, like, mm. it's not like oh, you're going to need a master shot here and then you punch in for a close up and you know, Sometimes it's not about that. It's about the kind of, it's about whether you're listening to something that's staccato in your head when you're thinking with the film, you know, it's about rhythm. And, and that teaches you a lot about what you should be doing on set, you know, perhaps not as structured as exactly what the shot is, but the more the overall feel to things. Nice. Love it. Well, uh, through all of the, for all of the the stages, have you got a little? What's your kind of little industry story? Have you got a funny little story that you normally sit around at a dinner table and go, Ah, yes, I have a story for this, this moment <laughs> right now. Film ball. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the the thing is when you work, you do a lot of work in advertising. You you uh, you end up with 
a, a raft of things that are kind of meaningless to anyone sort of outside of the industry. You know, yeah. they're always the kind of the absurdity of advertising moments and which is kind of is to denigrate advertising a bit because, um, you know, those absurd moments that come up, you can't quite believe you're doing something as daft as, you know, the scenario you find yourself in. That They only exist in advertising, really, I think. Um, and those moments, I don't think are really kind of, they're not useful to people in terms of what, like, why you want to be in the industry. They're just yeah. moments of great shame and waste. <laughs> but the things that make me, the things that have made me happiest on set, you know, the moment, best set moments I ever sort of remember are watching people do things together, you know. Mm. And I was doing, we were shooting something in Italy and uh, on a mountainside and we had to build a huge platform to take the, camera equipment this big motion control rig this huge platform with a vast rig on it um and everything got done and we finished and and but this platform had to be taken down and the and really bad weather was coming in it's beginning to really snow and it was getting kind of really windy and dangerous on top of this platform and there were you know there were the grips were trying to take it apart in really really bad weather and before I knew it, the, the entire Italian crew from, from the caterers through to the makeup artist, like everybody, everybody had made a chain and was passing down bits of this enormous platform that had been built, these heavy bits of timber being passed down. Mm. And it was all being dismantled by the crew to help the grips. Amazing. finish their job and get them off the mountain and get everyone home you know mm. and uh it was a really nice moment because there was no like hierarchy had gone out the window departments had gone out the window all the things that kind of you know a bit too rigid about film sets sometimes yeah. had gone out the window and everyone was kind of helping each other and i think that's kind of that's what i really like about film sets and i think that's what i really like about you know this time at the moment for film crew is really really difficult like really difficult and it shows how vulnerable everybody is and, and how fragile our environment is as a, as a working environment. Mm. And it's, you know, there's, but there's a huge sense of support and camaraderie from people and that will see everyone through and it'll be really, really tough. And then out on the other side of this, you know, hopefully everyone remembers that the importance of that kind of community spirit, um, and, and carries on looking after each other. We've seen brilliant things happen in the industry yeah. um, with people looking after each other, especially in the last few years. Uh, I feel like it's become a kind of, we've been able to articulate kindness much better and it's a little bit less individualistic and, and less dog-eat-dog and less hierarchical and, uh, and that's all for the good, you know? Yeah, amazing. Well, let's say uh, we're kind of, close to the hour um is there anyone anything a person an industry body or whatever anyone you'd like to give a, a shout out to or a anything uh, in particular uh, um no it's, i think it's kind of it's well it's to all my film friends who i don't get to see on set enough <laughs> I used to spend every single day on set you know I used to be on set sort of um you know most weeks most days most weeks for years and mm. I send my love to all my film friends basically who I don't get to see enough of um, and who I kind of grew up on set with um, and uh, I can't wait to be seeing them all again um, so I hope they're I hope they're doing okay um, and looking after each other thank you sir well that's um probably the first episode that's been as fractious with the zoom, but I'm really pleased that you were still able to kind of one, not hang up on me and to still give us such lovely little gems. And, and you're right. It is a tough time for everyone. Um, as the, the industry has just kind of been flipped on its head and there's going to be, it's going to be a, a, a tough few months and, you know, hearing your voice hearing other people um hopefully will bring some smiles some happiness into their lives for even if it is just for 45 minutes for one day um so 
from everyone listening, I know that they're saying thank you so much. Thank you for giving us the time. Uh, and for me, thank you for for having an open chat, you know, and, and telling us and giving those film students an understanding of how it can be done and how they can become a director. They don't need to, you know, have rich parents that can send them to film school and, and all the rest of it. And it's, it's lovely. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I wish I had them now, but, you know. <laughs> But thank you. Right, it, was, um, it was a yeah. massive, a real, a real pleasure talking to you, Zuzko. And um, and please use your editing skills to make me sound as uh, erudite and, and uh, emotionally beautiful a person as possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, uh, film family, thank you for listening. Subscribe and share. Uh, and until we meet again, that is a wrap. So that was a chat with the king or queen in the game. I give it a shout at the end so you all know the name. It's the Film Gods Podcast. The what? The Film God Podcast.